Hello and welcome to the Revenue Marketing Report powered by Caliber Mind. Our goal on the RMR is to help marketing ops professionals just build on their career. Today I'm joined by David Donnelly and please tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks very much for inviting me along. Uh, I'm a director of digital marketing at the moment. I've worked in marketing for 12 years, split between digital and operations, mostly operations. And I found myself working for B2B software companies, established companies that are pivoting to SaaS models, and also ones that typically grow through acquisitions. Perfect. So that gives you a unique perspective on the topic we're going to be covering. And I had flashbacks while we were establishing this topic. So I'm sure I'm going to rant every once in a while. That's okay. That's okay. So today we are discussing why you should pause before buying more tools. So let's open with something a little easier. What are the main things a company as a whole should consider before they purchase a tool? Yeah, it's an important thing to consider because despite how we think we've progressed, it's really common for these decisions to be made in silos uh, by different departments. And sometimes you step into companies and you see that the same thing has been bought multiple times. So for a company as a whole, I would say, I'd say an individual's responsibility is to focus on opening up those channels of communications between departments. So as you can make collective decisions that, that are best for the company. Yeah, when I sat in operations, I was too often the last to know that we were making a purchase. And one of the first things I always asked is, what problem are we trying to solve? Because as much as we'd like to think we're all very rational human beings, we're all really susceptible to marketing, which, you know, is good for the job I have now, but can make things a little difficult. Have you noticed that sometimes people kind of skip that initial question when they're, when they're looking at tech? Yeah, I think when it comes to anything like this, we have to be aware of our own biases. And to be more objective, I think it requires putting things on paper and involving more than one person in the decision. Mm -hmm. So speaking of which, I have a feeling departments buy tools without ops because they see us as slowing down the process. I was definitely true in sales operations. When I moved to marketing operations, somebody would think of a multi-channel campaign they want to implement. They didn't have a direct mail tool and then they go buy it and then loop in marketing operations. What are the kind of considerations marketing operations should take before agreeing to add on another, like what, what are the things going through their head when somebody says, Hey, I, I just got a tool just so that people can kind of see that perspective too. Yeah. I think, I think the, I think the skills of evaluating solutions and, and purchasing something is not well defined and people assume anyone can do it. So I think as soon as someone comes back to you, you can just ask, ask questions around, you know, what's it for? You know, you know, what does it solve? Who are the stakeholders involved in something like this? What's going to be the measure of success once we have it done? And what's the status quo? Like, if you don't have the tool today, how are you getting by without it? You know, write those down on a one-pager. I also like one-pager summaries of projects because frequently projects don't get completed, but you can always return to them later on when the opportunity arises. So always having that one-page document to summarize a project, the you know the objective, the pain point, you know why why you're doing it, and I think if someone hasn't done that, I'd like to think that that at least opens up the conversation. That then you can turn around and say, let's plan this through. 
And I think it is, I find this is the planning portion and a mistake in planning is fixed in execution. And that's, and that's painful from an operations perspective. You go, if you had, if you'd involved me in for a day, then maybe I would have saved myself a, a month of work at the end of the project. And when people are going out and buying a solution or, or they're picking one, they're not aware of that, that pain that happens at the end. And with the plan and documents, you try to avoid it because I don't think anybody can ever really appreciate it unless they're the person who ends up fixing things. Yeah, I kind of hear two things there. One is a lack of understanding on what's necessary technically for something to properly work. And then the other side of that is not understanding the burden it puts on the person who's going to be supporting it, which is unfortunate. Do you think if, like one of the things that pops to head is maybe if we define why we're involved and what needs to go into a technical, yeah, maybe it would help. Maybe not now that I'm thinking of it out loud. <laughs> you, you know what, though? I think it does help if, I find people are really res re responsive if you put, if you frame things as a minimal viable product. Because when people come in with a, with a solution that they want to execute on, they can be a little bit impatient and they don't understand. So they're like, I just want it done quickly. If you can come in and you say, okay, this is a little bit compromised, but we can get it done quickly, it achieves their goal. And it also puts you in a position then when you can say, we went into this knowing that it's, it's, a, it's an MVP. So they're, they're, you're sort of lining up the conversation to say, we're going to have to continue to invest time with this. What's the next version of this? You know, how do we continue? So I think that's a, a helpful way to, to start and, and to contribute in the planning portion too. Yeah. And what I see a lot of our customers struggle with is their data is living siloed in a bunch of different places, not having the operations person there early on to ask questions like, does it integrate with our CRM or marketing automation system? I've seen companies waste 25K at a time not asking that question. And then they decide to go with a different tool and purchase duplicative software. I'm sure I'm not the only one who's seen this. Have you seen other similar things happen that could have been avoided? Yeah, I've, I've found, well, you talked briefly about that idea that you got to fix the data before you bring in the reporting. And I think this this is maybe the source of a lot of pain when it comes to buying a solution before you're ready. And that's, especially with the reporting one, that in some ways people are unintentionally trying to avoid the hard work. The hard work with reporting is get the data. It will first define the process, right? If you're trying to measure something, you've got to figure out, you know, what are the milestones in the process that you want to measure for success? Then you want to make sure that you actually have the underlying data. It's really difficult to explain to someone who isn't uh, technical because they will go and they will get a demo and they'll see a funnel chart or some sort of chart and they'll be like, yeah, that's what I want. And they'll be promised it. And then once you come in, you're like, yeah, but the, 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 the chart is reporting on, on nothing. There's no data there. So, I mean, defining the process and and making sure that you, you gather the data, that's that's the real hard work. Buying the tool that goes on top of it to present it is relatively easier than that part. And I think it's the same when people are suggesting that they buy, uh, buy tools that en enable some sort of new function, like a sales enablement solution, where, you know, they say, <laughs> I guess it's that thing. It's like, if you ask, what is your inbound and your outbound sales process? And if sometimes there isn't a definition of it, 
you're saying, but we want to automate that somehow. So it has to manually exist before you can automate it. And also, sometimes people are, are trying to, I think they're, they're trying to buy the process that can be defined without the tool. And then also, I think they're, ma they're trying to manage the change because they don't want to tell someone to do something. Like a sales enablement tool is a good example because usually all you're trying to do is you say, I want a salesperson to call a lead 10 times and email them three and reach out to them on LinkedIn twice. Any salesperson can do that today for free. But we think for some reason that we have to have a technology to, to enable that. It's not, tr it's not true. And I think it can just be a way to avoid the hardest part, defining the processes and instilling the habits in, 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 the, uh, in the employees to do things in a certain order. There are so many things that were just gold in that statement because I think about there's almost this degree of magical thinking involved sometimes that we're going to solve an issue with technology when we haven't put the framework in place and process in place to, to really execute well. And one of the things you're talking about, sales outreach, it's just, it's not only about the frequency, but it's really dialing in and taking the time to analyze the quality. I see early on in organizations, a lot of salespeople get sold on tools like Gong, which are fabulous. But one of the key considerations anyone should take before they buy technology is whether they have the resources to utilize and get the most out of that tool and whether they have the skill set to analyze that. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, I, and I find as well, despite people sometimes coming to an operations team with a solution and they're like, I want to run with this immediately. As soon as you ask those questions, people are quite reasonable. Like if you ask how many salespeople do we have or how, or how many calls do they make at the moment or how many meetings do they have? And you go and you, you spend tens of thousands of dollars to measure someone might have five meetings a week. You're like, just record it. It's fine. Just send it on to me. So I think people are receptive to that. And I think... It would be it would be more convenient if operations were just involved at the at the early stages because we could ask those questions before it goes any further. And that's the only time that that it's in any way a little bit uh, difficult or, or uncomfortable. It's when you're asking people to sort of back up the train and go, okay, we got we got to do the due diligence at the start. Yeah, and you bring up a great point because a lot of times those decisions were already made by people with purchasing power and they tend to be above us in the organization and that can make for a very awkward conversation. Uh, how would you recommend people navigate that if the decision's already 80% there? I think if you can find that person who's senior enough that originally came up with the idea, my experience has shown me that they are sort of type A personalities. They're a dominant personality and they don't care about how you solve it. So if you come back and say, I can solve it quicker or I can solve it for maybe a little bit more money, but it's faster and this is how I do it. They're like, fine, whatever. They don't want to hear the solution. The challenge, the other challenge is when that message gets passed down to another level of management and, and they've made assumptions that you're not fully sure of. They're like, oh, this is what they want. And you're pretty confident. You're like, I think if I spoke to this person, they don't care that much on how to execute. And I think that's maybe the harder part when you're, uh, when you're playing a, a game of broken telephone and you're getting only part of, of the message. So again, I would hope that these things will be clarified with some sort of planning document. Uh, I find the, the racing model is quite useful. And also if you can identify uh, executive buy-in. 
those things early on are really helpful because then you can you can also define your role in the decision if if you know when it's not defined typically what happens is you're saying the let's say it's coming a project coming from the sales team they want to be responsible but you're sort of accountable and at the same time they only want to inform you and it's this mishmash where it's like they just want to tell you how to execute but if it goes wrong you're on the hook for it and it's just it, it's a strange relationship where if you did actually say if you're going to pick the solution and you're only informing me then does that really make sense or would you like me to would you like would you at least like to consult me on it first to see if if that solution would you know complement our, our existing uh tech stack or would you like to consult uh, consult with me to see if there's an alternative way to to solve this without buying anything people would be like oh, okay that's how that's how i know to work with you and i find that could be another thing as well People just don't know what the role is in the project. And as soon as you talk about the roles, then all of a sudden people give up on things and they're like, okay, I don't, I don't mind if you own that instead of me. That's a great point. I'm also thinking when it comes to really pushing people on the why, sometimes initially folks can get frustrated, but if they're patient with you and let you go through the process, there's usually this aha moment. And I see this all the time because I'm steeped in it all the time with attribution. So I found that one of the key objections with attribution in particular is it doesn't work and it really benefits to bring up a core question. Are you trying to solve for campaign optimization or are you trying to prove what marketing is contributing to the business? Because those could be very different tools and the data that you consider and the modeling you use. So if you're looking for contribution and you're ignoring what sales is doing and partners doing and you're planning on getting executive buy-in that your model is fair and unbiased, it's going to be much more difficult. So getting back to the why and what they're trying to solve, if they have the patience to stick it out and answer those questions that usually uncovers a lot of good information. Yeah, the attribution, the attribution question is always quite, quite interesting, especially because, you know, I've, I've gone through it a couple of times and the first thing I look at, because, you know, my experience at Salesforce, I immediately look and I go, are the campaigns being used? And it, it, there is that thing where it's like, I, I would never consider buying anything. I'd be like, I got to go in and see if there's data. If there isn't any data, then I'm like, I don't know what we can really do. Maybe we should track some. Maybe we should start gathering data for six months and evaluate a solution at that point and see what happens. It's an interesting one as well because I, I find at times with the attribution and, and you're speaking to leadership, it's um, I find that maybe leadership aren't getting traction with investors when they're asking for more budget. And it's, re it's really difficult. And I don't, I don't think people appreciate it at times that you're asked to provide reports or presentations to guide a conversation that you're never a part of. So how do I know what to give? And it's not that, you know, and I really want to help, you know? And I find sometimes that also there's, there's a, you got to also lead them to how to make a decision, not in a patronizing way, but most companies will know in, in, in B2B if their sales cycle or at least lead to opportunity is less than six months. It's enough to say, how much money did we spend in, the, in those six months? How, how much pipeline did we generate? Or even how many new logos did we, uh, did we create? Then you have a customer acquisition cost. 
And you could say, oh, okay, well, it costs $5,000 for one more customer. What's the average lifetime value? You go $50,000. And then, you know, a marketing leader should be able to go back to the investors and say, for every $5,000 you, you give me, I get you, I get you a new customer and you make 45 grand on it. And that should be enough. But what I find at times is the questions back then are, but where to put the money? LinkedIn or AdWords or events? And, and the answer is the exact same marketing mix that we have today. We just need more of it. So, and, and, and I think sometimes that's the, that's the thing that you have to keep asking the same question. Are we fixing for growth or are we fixing for efficiency? Because at times when they come back and go, well, LinkedIn doesn't work as well as Google. You know, like, are you saying that the $5,000 customer acquisition cost is too high? If you're saying it's too high, then yeah, that's a good question. If it's not too high, then the question is really just how much, how high can we go until we become unprofitable and we keep spending? That's quite common, I find. Right. And having been in the boardroom, I wished I'd known what people were looking for and the level of detail they were trying to get into so much sooner because it helps inform what information you give. So what I've found from experience is the more information you offer, the more problematic it can get. So if we're focusing on customer acquisition cost and we're focusing on a share of bookings pipeline and then overall early indicators and what that should mean to the business, that's usually enough. When people start asking for a ton of detailed information, they oftentimes have concerns that are already brewing or they've been offered more information and they're trying to dig into additional details that maybe they wouldn't have even touched if they hadn't seen that broader scope. It's kind of rare to me to see people get down to the level, I guess maybe I'm lucky, but down to the level of which channel and how much you're spending in if the CMO is trusted. I guess that's a big caveat. Maybe that's unique. I don't know. I've been on a ton of boardrooms. So let's just put it that way. Yeah, I think it is just. Yeah, because there's those things that, that are uh, a little more intangible, like the, the level of trust that's, that's difficult at times. Yeah, well, again, that, one's, that one's really difficult. And I think that's also where you can spend a lot of time. You just pull another report and that report. And I find as well that people want to get very granular and they want to see the individual person that, you know, that filled out the form nine months ago and then participate in every campaign and then bought a product and B2B that doesn't really exist. And I rely more on trending reports and I go, things are going in the, in the right direction. But that requires, I think, more patience where you say, I can't really make things change very quickly. We've got to try something for three months and we should see something. Improve. Yeah. And I'm lucky because they understand high level trends are about, you know, things are always changing. What worked last week, is it going to work this week? And high level trends though, are going to show whether or not we're pivoting appropriately and, and increasing efficiency. So there is a high degree of trust getting down to the individual person level. I've seen that in companies led particularly with a background of finance where we're used to looking at line items or technology leaders who are engineers and know what's technically possible. But again, it, if you can prove it out at a granular level with your own executive team internally, I'd be surprised if the board is looking for that same degree of detail unless they disagree with the rest of your executive team. It's just interesting. 
Yeah, it's really doubtful. The other problem I find as well is when, when you are owned by an investment group, you don't know what the other companies are saying and how accurate some of that information is. So they could say, this is 100% true, and an operations person would look at it and go, that's not true. So like, you know, what you're, you're caught as well with how, um, how complete you want to give as an answer. And yeah, that can, that can be, yeah, I, I, and that would be the way I would typically work. I would explain the, the, the issues with the data, but I would say that the data, can, you can still make a decision if you're willing to make a decision. Yeah, and I'm by no means am I suggesting hiding anything. If they want to see the details, I will give them. I've just been fortunate that if I can speak intelligently and explain why things are trending in one direction or the other, that's usually sufficient. I think where people can get into hot water is if they don't know which questions to ask their operations person and if their operations person isn't offering commentary to explain what cause and effect if we know it. I think there needs to be a bit more collaboration. Like you said, if you knew the questions that were being asked, you're just more equipped to answer the questions coming for coming because you know what they are. And if you know what they're being driven to provide, you can help give some commentary that would help support them without them having to step out over their skis and make assumptions that might get them in trouble. Yeah, no, very true. I also wonder at times how much things are being compared to the sales team because it's convenient in some ways that the opportunity object is a, uh, it's a transaction. It, it starts and ends. And then you try to introduce this other idea of like the, the person remains in our database for years and they could buy multiple times. So how do you, how do you explain that to someone? Uh, would that again a little bit uh, complicated? Yeah, it was interesting. An executive said to me that salespeople or sales managers tend to be more data driven and, and more comfortable with math. And I'm like, now hold on. <laughs> They're dealing with a single object with a start and an end. And, you know, there's some variability in how accurately people forecast, of course, because we can't know what the human buyer is going to do. Now, multiply that by a buyer committee of eight and all the human signals that go into that and all the systems that we're using. Salesforce reported that each marketing report, they're trying to tie in an average of 24 different systems. That's a lot different than just looking at the opportunity object. So I, I think it's a combination of people don't understand how complex and messy the data is for marketing. And marketers aren't always comfortable sticking to their guns, pushing back and really clearly defining what is and isn't possible. Because I hear a lot of, yeah, we could probably do that. And then the ops person going, have you heard of privacy laws? <laughs> yeah, I, I, can, I can definitely uh, sympathize with, with that where you're driving for a project and you don't want to even consider the limitations because it's, it's just too overwhelming at times. Yeah, there's a lot of landmines that we just don't even know about too. At a higher level, you're not in the details. I think operations folks are really uniquely positioned to help guide the business because they have that strategic and tactical combo that is just so valuable. Well, I know we steered quite a ways away from our original topic, but board meetings are definitely hot on the minds for most of us who are, are facing perhaps a challenging quarter, perhaps not, but statistics show most of us are having a challenging quarter. So I appreciate you allowing the diversion. <laughs> 
So where could people find you online to network? Yeah, just search for me on LinkedIn. I'm there. I'm always happy to connect with other people. And I find the um, find networking is it's 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 uh, invigorating. I think for your work because the day to day, I enjoy my job. But talking a little bit uh, at a higher level is is uh, is really enjoyable. Yeah, it's amazing what you can learn just by talking to other people. So for those of you listening, we will be putting David's information in the show notes so you can find him on LinkedIn. If you enjoyed the show, please rate, review, subscribe, tell two friends. It does make a difference. And for those of you looking for more great content like this, check out calibermind.com. 